Double, double, toll and trouble. Fire burn and cauldron bubble. Cool it with a baboon's blood. Then the charm is firm and good. Oh, well done, I commend your pains. And everyone shall share in the gains. And now about the cauldron sing, like elves and fairies in a ring, enchanting all that you put in. By the pricking of my thumbs, something wicked this way comes. That's from Shakespeare's famous Witches of Macbeth. Tales of witchcraft have been the source of entertainment for centuries. But when the tales jump into reality, a new type of wickedness emerges. Such was the case in the Scottish witch trials. The witches of Fife serve as a reminder that the stories we watch for entertainment on television have a dark and deeply painful past. What's even more mysterious than the history itself is the stories these women spun surrounding their supposed confessions. It seems they are still bewitching us after all these years. I'm Vanessa K. Eccles, and this is Fabled. A cold wind blew in from the window, the curtain performing a wild dance in the breeze. The full moon cast a blue glow into my room. I wrapped my arms around my knees, rocking myself gently, and mumbled words of prayer under my breath. I pleaded that I wouldn't be beckoned. A floorboard creaked somewhere in the house, jerking me from my blanket. Bare feet on dusty floorboards, I shivered in my shift. The long candle flickered, and behind it, a mirror reflected its flame. I heard a strong breath over my shoulder. I turned to face the beast, but saw nothing. When I set my eyes back to the candle, it still shone, but the reflection of it showed that it was put out. A puff of smoke floating in the air, the wick black and extinguished. I had been summoned. I slid my feet into my worn leather shoes and tied my emerald cloak at the nape of my neck. I carefully took each step through the house, not wanting to wake anyone. The crack of the cane on the wood floor froze me. I turned to see Nana, her bushy gray hair cold upon her head, with strands wayward in every direction. Her eyes and face were dark in the dim light. I pulled my hand to my chest and took a deep breath. Nana, you frightened me. She grunted, a low, guttural sound. She often did when she was displeased. She hadn't spoken words in years, so we'd learned her new language of moans and grunts. I gave her a faint smile and went for the door. As soon as my fingers wrapped the knob, I heard a voice. 
If it's the devil you seek, you will surely find him tonight. Nana's cane clacked toward me, and the hair on the back of my neck stood on end. When I finally gained the nerve to face her, she was only a few paces from me. Her once blue eyes were black, and her face didn't hold the kindness it usually did. She didn't appear to be my Nana at all. It's not the devil I seek, I said, my words hovering like smoke, too unbelievable and heavy to dissipate quickly. She cocked her head to the side as if she was questioning me, as if I had lied to her. If not the devil, then what? I tried to remember what Nana's voice sounded like all those years ago, before her illness, but couldn't. Was this her, or was this something else? I wrapped an arm around my stomach in an effort to calm my nerves. This was my grandmother, and surely she meant me no harm. I am safe. My friend is in trouble, I said, pulling at the cloak, its ribbon suddenly feeling tight around my neck. It's not your friend he wants. It's you, Janet. Her words sounded deep, masculine even. He will not have me, but there are others I fear for, I told her. You've been known to cast vengeance spells in your day, she said, her lip curling upward. I stiffened and balled my fist. That's only gossip. There's no truth in the tales of bored and dissenting townsfolk. But isn't there? She took another step toward me, not leaning on her cane this time. I haven't the time to argue this with you now. I must go. I reached for the knob, and when I opened the door, a wind blew and so strong that it pushed me two steps back. She placed her hand on my shoulder and squeezed until a sharp pain surged down my arm. You already belong to him, Janet, she said, and then her voice morphed into something deeper with a venomous bite. You are mine. I pushed out of the door, and when I was several paces away, I glanced back. But Nana was nowhere to be seen. Only darkness stood in the open doorway. My feet slowed as I got farther from the house. The whispers of the forest, the sway of the branches, the night critter's feet rustling amongst leaves and twigs, the wind calmly singing, gave me peace. As I walked, I remembered the reflection of the candle's flame, snuffed out. There had been rumors in the village of witchcraft. As an herbalist, like my mother and Nana, and all the other women of my family. I knew it wouldn't be long before pious fingers pointed our way. A growl pulled me from my thoughts and I halted. The all-too-familiar black dog quietly stepped out onto the path in front of me, his teeth bared and his fangs glowing in the moonlight. So we meet again, I whispered, my limbs trembling at my side. The beast moved deeper into the forest, 
and I knew I must follow him. To save my friend, I must lure her away from his temptations, the same temptations I'd shunned so many times. I couldn't let him know my reason for being here. Yet, he'd surely attempt to kill me should he find out about my treachery. When we reached the twisted trees, their bases stretching, swirling toward the night sky, I knew we'd come to the place, the lair of the wicked. Beatrix, the older woman, who taught me the wisdom of a mother when my own abandoned me, not physically, but mentally, all those years ago, stood in the clearing, her shift hugging her thin frame and her brown hair graying at the temples, freely blowing in the wind. B, I whispered and reached for her, but even though she stood only paces from me, she felt far, far from here. She and I have come to an agreement, the black dog hissed. That can't be. She has a kind soul. I glided toward her, but something stopped me, an invisible barrier between she and I. What have you done? I spat, swirling around to the dog, jaw clenched and fists ready to swing. She is mine now. There's nothing you can do. It's a lie. You are a lie. Am I? The black dog stood on its back legs, limbs stretching, shedding until they turned into human arms and legs, his face handsome and young. My dear, he began, stroking my cheek with his hand. You've resisted too long. Come, join us. His lips hovered inches from mine, his hot breath burning into me. Never, I murmured but my tongue had lost its bite. He pulled me into him, our bodies colliding under the eerie blue light of the moon. If you don't, you shall die a horrible death. I'll surely die one if I do, I told him, remembering the townsfolk's whispers of witches and the awful way one should die. Whatever is said to me is forever bound to these woods. No one shall know, even if they shouldn't. They shall suspect. They already do. Well then, now more than ever, you need my protection. I turned away, feeling the truth in his words. I wouldn't accept him. Not now. Not ever. Movement caught my eye. Beatrix raised her arms over her head, and with the moon directly above her, she appeared to be bewitching it to her will. Be come. Don't do this. I pled. The beast grabbed my waist and forced his lips to mine. The wind howled and swirled around us. A dense, dark fog separated us from the forest, and a vision emerged. In it, I was taken, beaten, nearly drowned, and crushed to death. The weight of the rocks on my chest sent me to the ground, writhing in pain. This is what will happen, should you refuse me. The beast growled, once again a black dog. He bared his fangs. No matter what should happen in the future, I'd made up my mind long ago that I wouldn't be a slave to darkness. I mumbled a chant under my breath. Having been warned by my ancestors never to repay evil for evil, 
not even for good. I knew my actions would have consequences, but I had to save her. If not in this life, then in the next. Wicked is what wicked does, by the one who brought it upon us. Bind the evil in these lands, and the vileness of our hands. Keep us rid of foul hearts, in whole or in part. Give us grace and give us peace. I curse the beast amongst us. Be bound by the light that was and is and is to come. Nevermore shall he tempt our souls, our lives if it must be the toll. Paid in full and complete to rid the land of this beast. The beast disappeared into the wood as I spoke the last words, and the invisible barrier fell. Bee ran toward me. Her eyes were crazed and distant, as if she'd been in a trance. We fled the forest that night, and the darkness therein. But the vision the beast shared haunted me. Something deep inside my soul knew it was my future, and we all would pay for having met with the devil. All of us do. Fife was the home to Scotland's capital for six centuries. It is rich with history and is still dotted with cathedrals, castles, and historical landmarks. It was the ancestral home of Scottish monarchs and is enchanting with its rocky coastline and lush greenery. It is also the home of witch trials. The Great Witch Hunt of Scotland occurred between March and October 1597. A hunt for all those who practice witchcraft was encouraged by James VI. More than 4,000 people, men and women alike, were accused of witchery between 1563 and 1736. Scholars believe that around two-thirds of those charged were executed. The Pitt and Weem witch trials began when 16-year-old Patrick Morton began telling wild stories. And those tall tales would take the lives of three people in the quaint fishing village of Pitt and Weem in Fife, Scotland. He first accused Beatrix Lang of sending wicked thoughts to torture him. You see, Beatrix Lang had visited Patrick who was the son of a blacksmith, to ask him to make her some nails. When he refused, because he already had an urgent order, she walked away, murmuring words of revenge. The next day, Patrick saw a bucket of water and burning coal outside of the woman's house. He took that as a sign that she was casting a spell on him. He claimed that he immediately felt weak and faint. After this sight, He also claimed that his health continued to deteriorate. He refused to eat, and people claimed to see fingernail scratches on his body. He eventually grew so weak that he couldn't get out of bed, and he claimed to see the devil himself sitting at the foot of his bed. 
At the time of the accusations, there was a pamphlet circulating about the details of demonic possession of the 11-year-old girl, Christian Shaw, who was at the crux of the Paisley Witch Trials. The local minister had read the pamphlets to the boy just before these accusations began. Unbelievably, no one questioned his story, and Beatrix was arrested. Beatrix and the other accused were tortured to extract confessions. She was kept awake for five days straight before she finally confessed. One letter said, quote, The ministers have used a great deal of barbarous severities to extort confessions from those poor, unhappy creatures. Unquote. While in custody, she admitted to making spells with buckets of water and hot coals, as well as putting needles through a wax figure of her victim. She even claimed that she'd met and bargained with the devil, who came to her in the form of a black dog. She said she knew he was the devil because he shapeshifted in front of her. She went on to say that she offered him her daughter and granddaughter, who was only six years old at the time. Beatrix remarkably survived the severe torture that was able to extract such a tale and was finally freed. She then immediately retracted her statement, only to get beaten and thrown into the village stocks. She was then placed in the dungeon of the jail and served five months of solitary confinement. After she was finally freed, she only lived a few months longer. Her death was a direct result of the months of ill treatment she endured. A man by the name of Thomas Brown was also accused. He was arrested and starved to death in a dungeon. Janet Cornfoot was another victim of these accusations. She somehow managed to flee at first, but this outraged the people so much that every house was searched, and she was eventually recaptured. She was beaten and dragged to the sea. Her hands and feet were bound with a rope and fastened to her waist. The rope was attached to a boat out at sea, and a group of men held the other end. She was swung back and forth into the water until she almost drowned. She was bound, beaten, stoned, and eventually crushed to death under a pile of heavy rocks. And as if that wasn't enough, a horse and cart were driven over her several times. Her body was then thrown into a communal grave known as Witch's Corner. Others were accused of witchery by Patrick as well, but they were all freed. The truth would come to light as it always does, though, because he would eventually be exposed and confessed to the liar that he was. But he never suffered any punishment for his horrendous actions. But perhaps the most infamous Scottish witch is Margaret Aitken. She was arrested in Fife in April of 1597 for witchcraft and would later plead guilty after being severely tortured. Desperate to save her own life, she claimed to be able to identify a fellow witch by looking into their eyes. She agreed to work for the commission to hunt and help bring other witches to execution in exchange 
for her own life. She made good on her promise and was the cause of the execution of many women. Although the exact number is unknown, it's believed to be in the hundreds. But she was exposed as a fraud in August of 1597. A prosecutor had grown suspicious of her claims. He brought women she'd already condemned back to her the next day in a different dress, and she then declared them innocent. After this exposure, she was then burned at the stake. It can be hard to fathom why women would confess, often telling strange and elaborate stories about their witchery, but under extreme torture, people are likely to say anything if it means the pain will stop. And in 1704, Lilas Addy, an older woman, was accused of making her neighbor sick. She told the ministers and elders that she was indeed a witch and that she had met the devil in a cornfield and taken him as her master and lover. She also claimed that they had led others in a wild dance under an unearthly blue light. She called these people out by name. As time went on, her tales grew stranger and more outlandish, but everything she said was accepted as proof that she indeed was a witch who'd made a pact with the devil. She died in prison without ever facing trial. The people of Scotland were desperate to snuff out witchcraft from their communities. During this time, there were professional witch prickers, people who were well paid to find the devil's mark on an accused witch. They would use a long steel needle to poke and prod the women's bodies, searching for the spot where they would be immune to pain. They knew that repeated prodding of the same place would render the area insensible. One famous witch pricker was from Fife. The Reverend Alan Logan was a local minister who became famed in all of Scotland for his ability to hunt down and detect witches. Lore has it that he would stop in the middle of his communion services, point his finger, and yell, You witch wife rise from the table of the Lord. The accused woman often responded to his accusation by running out of the church, probably in utter fear, only to be arrested outside. The Witch of Fife shows up in folklore as well. We know by now that all great tales are passed from generation to generation. In James Hogg's narrative poem, The Queen's Wake, a series of bards contribute stories to a competition organized by Mary, Queen of Scots. In it, the eighth bard sings of a man who follows his witch wife to the bishop's house to drink his wine. The wife warns her husband not to drink too much, but he does it anyway and falls asleep. He's caught by the bishop's guards and is sentenced to burn at the stake. Right before he burns, his wife uses her sorcery to save him, and he vows never to practice witchcraft again. It seems the witches of Fife are still enchanting readers and historians with their stories. History is a wicked beast.
Fabled is produced by me, Vanessa K. Eccles, with research assistance by Whitney Zahar and music by Kevin McLeod and Epidemic Sound. Fabled is an independent podcast made possible by listener support. If you'd like to learn more about becoming a patron and get access to bonus material, free books, and more, visit fablecollective.com. As always, thank you for listening. Hey there, I'm Jennifer, and I host Haunted Happenstance, a creepy and quirky little audio drama set in a historic residence in Boston, Massachusetts. You see, I've always loved a good ghost story, and as it turns out, ghosts have always loved me too. Convenient? Maybe. Coincidence? Perhaps. But I think it's a bit more than that. Let's see if you agree. So sit back and get ready to join me and my neighbors for some truly spooky tales that can only be explained as haunted happenstance. You can find us on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever else you find your podcasts.